the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Paul would say, and, he, and he's going to say, it's okay if you still want to practice some of your Jewish traditions. Just don't ever think that in doing those things or in celebrating those feasts, it makes you more right before God. Because you can't improve upon the cross. So he's basically saying, as a matter of tradition, as a matter of practice, and you get joy out of that, and that's how you grew up, and you want to do all these things, okay. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. When Jewish people began to be converted to Christianity, many of them still wanted to celebrate their feasts and traditions. Scripture reveals that the Jews were free to celebrate. However, adhering to traditions should never give birth to legalism or a works-based religion. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us of our freedom in Christ to express our cultural backgrounds and family traditions. However, there is nothing man can do to add the perfection and sacrifice of the cross of Christ. When Jesus died, redemption's work was entirely finished. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 21. It says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt... This is kind of interesting. Tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, now, this is warning number two. And this is, a, a, you know, a little strange. I don't know, maybe not. But if, if somebody comes and takes my belt off, I'd be a little uh, curious. You know, what are you doing? Uh, And so Agabus comes, takes Paul's belt off around his waist, and then proceeds to tie his own hands and his own feet up. So, I mean, it's kind of a visual illustration, I suppose. But but then he, he, by the Spirit, says, listen, in the same way, this is what's going to happen to you. You get the visual image here, Paul? You go to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up, bound over to the Gentiles. And in fact, it goes on to say in verse 12 that when we heard this, We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? 
I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's powerful. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, for the Lord's will be done. Now, again, this is the second warning here. So the question is, are they, are they going a little too far with this? And so they have, they have a word of knowledge that is correct, where the Holy Spirit is warning Paul about the hardships that lie ahead, and they've just taken it a little bit further than that and said, so you shouldn't go. Uh, and, and therefore, it's simply a, a preparation by the Spirit. Or are they saying everything by the Spirit, including you shouldn't go, and Paul is disobeying the voice of the Holy Spirit here? Now, um, when I consider Paul's life, and I think he, you know, this, this is the guy who, <laughs> when I get to heaven... He's going to be way in the front of the line. I'll be looking at the back of his head, okay? He's going to be a lot closer to the throne. I, I personally don't think he's disobeying the Holy Spirit here. I, I mean, look, we're all frail and we're all human, and even the Apostle Paul can get it wrong sometimes. But I sincerely believe that he just feels called by the Lord to go, and he's going to go, and out of the goodness of the heart to the people who love him, they don't want to see him die. So... I'm not sure that he's rebelling here. I just simply think that the Holy Spirit is preparing him. And out of their love for Paul, maybe they're adding the second part. I can't say for sure, but I, I find it difficult to believe that twice over the same situation, Paul is just going to defiantly say, no, I'm just going to disobey the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go anyway. So, you know, we don't really know for sure, but I suspect here that this is a warning so that Paul would be prepared, you know, mentally to be ready is what's coming, uh, but not necessarily that he shouldn't go. That may not be the whole part of the message. That part might have been an addendum from the people who love him. Regardless, he goes here. And they, when they realized, well, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to dissuade him, they just said, well, the Lord's will be done. You know, they defer to the Lord's will. By the way, that's not a bad thing. When, when you don't know what else to pray and what else to do, it's okay to say where well, the Lord's will be done. I've heard sometimes people say that's kind of a cop-out, that we should always know what God's will is and declare it and stand on it and confess it. You know what? I, I just don't think we always are going to be 100% tuned in. And there's, there's, there are times when it's okay to just simply say, Hey, Lord, I'm going to pray according to what I believe is your, is your will and, and is your best. But I defer to you, so your will be done. That's not a cop-out. That's just deferring to the sovereignty of God. Your will be done. So after this, verse 15, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Now notice they're going south. It's the last part on the bottom of the screen if you can still see it. They're going south, but they always say go up to Jerusalem because it is higher elevation, but it is a high and holy place. So always in the scripture, it's going up to Jerusalem, even if you're going south. And so they go up to Jerusalem and some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasson, uh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So this is now the end of Paul's third missionary journey. 
Um, when you total all of his travels here, he travels about a little more than 2,500 miles. 2,500 miles. About 1,200 miles by sea and about 1,300 miles by land. That's his journey. And this is a day when there's not modern transportation, of course. So this, you're, you're hiking a lot and you're sailing a lot. 1,200 miles by sea, 1,300 miles by land, a total of about a little more than 2,500 miles. Verse 17 says, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. Now, this is the half-brother of Jesus. That's, that's this James, the half-brother of Jesus. He now has become the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. We went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. All right, pause there for a moment. Here's what's going on. Paul comes back to Jerusalem. It's the end of his missionary journey. He basically gives a progress report. Here's what happened. Here are the people who got saved. And the leaders in Jerusalem, they're thrilled about this. They're like, this is wonderful. Let me tell you also, many thousands of people have been saved here in Jerusalem as well. This is great. We got a problem, Paul. And the problem is that Jews, because up to this point, I mean, it's not exclusively Jewish, but the New Testament church is majority Jewish believers in Christ. And these Jews, who are believers in Jesus as Messiah, are having heartburn over the idea that they think Paul is saying Judaism goes out the window. Everything about Judaism, and, and, and they think Paul, though he's a Jew, is being completely anti-Jew, and that what he's saying now is, you just need to forget all of the Jewish stuff, Jewish law, Jewish customs, Jewish feasts, Jewish festivals, all this stuff, and just be a Christian and a follower of Christ. That's all that matters. And so the leaders of Jerusalem are like, we got a dilemma here because there are some Jews who believe in Jesus, but they still like to practice some of the feasts and festivals and customs of Judaism. They think you're anti-Jew, Paul. So they say, what should we do? And before Paul could answer, they're like, in fact, let's just tell you what we, what we need to do. What we need to do is... We need to give you, four guys here have taken a vow. And this is probably the Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6 talks about it. You, you need to be a part of the purification. You need to go with them, pay their, their, the fee as a part of this purification rite. And you go with them to the priest and you make all this good. And then all the Jews will see that you still participate in some of the Jewish customs and laws. Now... It appears that Paul actually didn't have a problem with this. He's going to go forward with it. But I want you to also note with me in Romans chapter 14. 
And you can turn to the next uh, book over if you want. I'm going to read just a couple of verses. Romans chapter 14. That Paul made allowance for this. In, in consideration of the Jews who now believed in Jesus as Messiah... Paul is going to say, listen, you still have some liberty if you want to practice some of the Jewish feasts and festivals and rituals. Here's the point, so don't miss this. Hear me on this. Paul would say, and and he's going to say, it's okay if you still want to practice some of your Jewish traditions. Just don't ever think that in doing those things or in celebrating those feasts, it makes you more right before God. Because you can't improve upon the cross. So he's basically saying, as a matter of tradition, as a matter of practice, and you get joy out of that, and that's how you grew up, and you want to do all these things, okay. But don't for a minute think that those things make you more right before God. Because it's all about Christ and what Christ has done for us. So, for example, in Romans 14, uh, just looking at a couple of verses, verse uh, 4. He says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to the Lord, to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So in other words, he goes on in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your, in your brother's way. So a lot of Romans chapter 14 is about bearing with each other and realizing that there are some who are Jewish who still believe in certain sacred, solemn days. And Paul says, that's okay. Let them practice those sacred, solemn days. You don't have to abandon everything just because you believe in Christ. However, there are some Jews who come to faith in Christ and they say, well, now our liberty and our salvation is in Christ, so we don't need to practice all the feasts, all the festivals, all these things. And Paul says, and that person's okay too. So he doesn't dismiss this, but he, he doesn't embrace it either. He just basically is like, you know what, we, we can do whatever we want to do. If you remember, actually, back in, I think it was Acts 18, when Paul was leaving Corinth, he, he shaved his head, which was the end of a Nazarite vow. So he himself would practice some of the Jewish traditions. But he's going to also talk later in his epistles about how, you know, don't use the law as a basis for becoming righteous. That's why he talks about even circumcision. He's like, circumcision was a right of Judaism, but, but you don't need to be circumcised in order to be more right with God. So there's this delicate balance. But um, in Colossians 2, let me just share this with you as well, because this is a, another one of what uh, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. Verses 16 and 17. And th- th- these are important verses about this as well. But this is what he says. Colossians two sixteen. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. He says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. One of the beautiful things, and we have some folks in our own church who are Jewish, 
but they believe in Jesus as Messiah. You don't stop being Jewish because you believe in Jesus. Uh, you are now considered either a Messianic Jew or uh, some refer to themselves as a completed Jew. That's offensive to, to some Jews, but anyway. So whatever you want to call yourself. But the beauty of being Jewish and a believer in Jesus is, is that you have the richness of the traditions and the festivals and the feasts, which all point to Christ. And when you're a believer in Christ, you can see how it all points to Christ. You know, until you come to faith in Christ, a Jew may not necessarily understand all of how Christ is revealed through every feast and every festival, but he is, because all of it pointed to Christ. And that's why Paul says there in Galatians 2.17 that these are a shadow of what was to come, but the reality, however, was fulfilled in Christ. Because you can see Jesus throughout every Jewish tradition, Jewish feast, Jewish celebration, Jewish holy day. And, and it's a wonderful revelation of who Christ is. By the way, on the Jewish calendar, this Friday at sundown begins Passover. Christ is revealed throughout the whole Passover. And when they practice and have a Seder dinner, all of the elements of the Seder dinner actually point to Christ. And if you are a Jew who've come to faith in Christ, you now see the richness of the expression of Christ through all of the Jewish feasts and celebrations. And so Paul is basically saying, you can go back to Acts 21 now, Paul is basically being encouraged by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. You know, you, you need to take into consideration that there are a lot of Jewish believers in Jesus, and they think you're anti-Judaism. They think you're anti-the law, and that you've you know, completely abandoned your Jewish traditions, which isn't true. I mean, all of it was fulfilled in Christ. But, but in order to make those Jewish believers realize that you're not anti-Jew... Why don't you participate in this ceremonial purification of these four particular guys? And so he, so he goes along with it. Verse uh, 26. The next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. And then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So these are, these are four Jewish Christian guys who apparently took a Nazarite vow and now they're bringing it to a conclusion uh, because it talks about shaving their heads back in verse 24. And so Paul does this publicly so that Jewish believers can realize, oh, all right, he's, he's not anti-Jew after all because he's a part of this whole purification thing. Well, he does this, but it raises the alarm of some others who are not Jewish believers. Look further, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over... Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Greeks being Gentiles. Now, now they weren't, they, but they thought they were. Verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Um, you know, when you break down the word assumed, right? All right. So, you know, don't make assumptions. All right. It's not good. And so they make a wrong assumption here. And it's going to get a guy arrested and, and almost killed. And that's what happens when we make wrong assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Verse, verse 30, the whole city was aroused. 
which sounds a little racy, but uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it almost sounds like the message translation. Um, the whole city was upset, folks, all right? And the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd and when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now, again, the Bible tells us this is Passover because Paul was racing back to Jerusalem for Passover. So during Passover, the city of Jerusalem would swell from a couple hundred thousand to a couple million because people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. So, I mean, there's an angry mob here at this point, and they're, and they're beating Paul. I mean, they're just, they're just ruthlessly beating Paul. And so, you know, the Roman guards, because the Romans... This is part of the Roman Empire at the time. They're supposed to be peacekeepers in Rome. This is a high population time during the feast. And so they come rushing to Paul's defense here. They break up the fight. Verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him, arrested Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Now, doesn't it make more sense that you should ask who, who you are and what you've done before you actually arrest somebody? But anyway... So that's what they do. In verse 34, some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. So it's it, it just a riot here. And, and anyway, verse 35, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting away with him, away with him. Is this, is this reminiscent of anything? City of Jerusalem, 27 years earlier, away with him, crucify him. That's what, that's what they did to Jesus. And here, and here Paul is now. Verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied, because Paul addressed him in Greek, which was the common language of the day. And it indicated that he was more of an educated man and the commander didn't, didn't think he was an educated man. In fact, look at verse 38. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? So the commander has confused him with somebody else, thinking that he's Egyptian. I don't know. Maybe he walked like an Egyptian. I don't know. That's an old song. It dated me again. Google it. You'll love it. But anyhow, um, he's actually Turkish because Paul is from uh, Tarsus in in Cilicia, which is in Turkey. So he's Turkish. So, you know, he's, he's Middle Eastern complexions, but the, the Roman commander thought that he's, uh, that he's Egyptian, and he confused him. So aren't you, aren't you that guy who's this terrorist, led 4,000 people out of the desert? Paul answered in verse 39, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Now, some of your Bibles have a footnote, and it says Hebrew uh, versus Aramaic. Um, it's likely Aramaic, and here's the reason why. The Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language, most of it. There are some sections of it in Daniel and in Ezra that are written in Aramaic. Because when the Jews were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. and hauled off to Babylon, they became absorbed into 
the Babylonian community and the Babylonian community was then replaced by the Persian Empire and so the Babylonian Persian influence Aramaic is an ancient Semitic language that they ended up picking up because they're living over in Persia The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, at 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.